We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know, and sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We're here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truth behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully the justice that was ultimately delivered. Oh, Don Palumbo. Jonah Lanto. I love love that intro. It's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, So first of all, we have to thank you guys for the rates and reviews. Um, it's, it's doing big things for us and we really, really appreciate it. Uh, so Jonah, what are people saying about Midwest murder? It sounds like they're saying we're pretty awesome and we deeply appreciate all of you guys for listening in, for pitching in, helping us get recognized out there in the podcast world by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. Recently, North Dakota Obi-Wan said, well done. Uh, also, shout out to your name there. Uh, huge Star Wars nerd yeah. myself. So, Andy Obi Wan, if that's what you're going for, we, we think it's cool. But well done. Very informative and detailed episodes. I spent 30 years at a North Dakota newspaper, so all cases are familiar to me. But these podcasts include a lot of details I hadn't known about. I'm hooked. I have not heard that one. I didn't read that one. Oh my gosh. Thank yes, you. Yes. Thank you, Obi-Wan. Uh, we, it's so awesome to hear that. Thank you so much. Uh, and then from Stephanie756, very, very good. I work with the legal system. So when I listen to a true crime podcast, I crave all the details and accuracy is very important to me. I'm also from North Dakota and I'm somewhat familiar with the crimes reviewed so far, but was surprised while listening to this podcast at just how much I didn't know. Midwest Murder is well-researched. They explain legal jargon well. The hosts do not stray far from the topic at hand, and most importantly, while their conversation can be light and relatable, they don't lose sight that true crimes involve real people and their discussions are respectful of the topic at hand and the individuals involved. Well done. Bam. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, we're not asking you to rate and review us just for ego purposes. We're not, that's not it at all. Um, it helps us become uh, a trending uh, on, on iTunes and it, it just, it helps us um, kind of bring this to the next level and, and we couldn't be more grateful for, for that. Quite, quite frankly, guys, it's very uplifting and I, I have a great deal of gratitude, motivation and inspiration by your positive reviews. Thank you. Exactly what he said. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so on this episode of Midwest Murder... We're going to go back to Minot, North Dakota. And oddly enough, we're going back to 1993 as well. I love the 90s. Well, seriously, what the hell was going on in 93? Um, It's weird. And I find myself going down that hole whenever I look for a case. And it's because there there are so many cases in 93. It's unreal. Unreal. So anyway... uh, so we're back in Minot, and, and in 1993, there were approximately 35,000 people, and even with that small of a population, Minot was the fourth largest city in North Dakota and actually continues to be to this day. Minot was and continues to be home to the U.S. Air Force Base. If you listen to episode one, we talk about that a little bit more. And uh, the Air Force Base is quite unique as far as uh, base missions go. Minot State University um, is, is well known here in this area as well. And then, of course, agriculture. So Bill Clinton had just been sworn into office two months prior. The Buffalo Bills had just been defeated for, sorry, I can't even say this with a straight Jeez. face, for the third time in their third brutal, consecutive Super Bowl. Brutal nightmare, I remember first watching and, that. Uh, first and only team to ever do that. So yeah. well done. Yeah, you got to get your name on the score sheet somehow. They're good this year. Yeah, okay. Um, and then a loaf of bread cost $1.57 and a gallon of gas was $1.16. So I wouldn't say things were simpler by any means, uh, but they were certainly cheaper. So... Uh, so today we are going to talk about the case of the Lip family. And even before the times of social media, life was, wasn't always what it seemed. And again, I think I've said this maybe every episode, it's a different time, right? It's a, it's a different time and and people stuck to their own business. Our phones were attached to the wall still. And with a really long cord. Virtually, I mean, no, no internet really. You yeah. didn't really have internet in '93. It was, it, it existed, but not many people had it in their houses. Oh, Al Gore hadn't invented it yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I mean, it was so, it was so very, very new. It was very, um, 
simple as far as communication goes. It wasn't, I, I don't want to say simple times because that, that really makes it simple for certain people, not everybody. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's okay to be nosy sometimes, I think. And uh, yeah, well, let's jump in. It's so, okay to be nosy sometimes. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued right there. That's okay. Well, that's my opinion at times. Maybe it's because we study such dark things, Jonah. I'm not sure. Uh, somebody's always up to something. I like to ask questions. Questions are good. So remember we're 1993. Tillman Christensen, uh, who was a snowbird from Minot, was wintering in Arizona and had been trying to get in touch with his daughter Kay um, or even her husband Tom for about a day or so. Kay and Tillman seemed to have a, a pretty close relationship, so them not talking was uh, a little odd. So he asked his sister Mabel, um, her Aunt Mabel, to go to the house and, and see if there was anything going on or if she could just even make contact with somebody just to make sure that, that everybody was all right. Mabel went at about noon on Thursday, March 18th, and wasn't able to chat with anybody. She didn't see anybody, um, but since the Lip couple had just recently adopted a sweet newborn baby girl, uh, she assumed the family was sleeping. So... You know, we've a few of us have been there and sleep deprived and need a nap. So she didn't want to bother them too much. So nothing seemed to be out of place um, or look like there was an imminent threat. So she left and uh, called her brother and just said, no, I think I think everything's fine. So the next day, Tillman still had not made contact with anybody from the Lip family. So once again, Aunt Mabel to the rescue um, to go over and try to see Kay. So maybe maybe Aunt Mabel, can you be a little more assertive this time? Maybe. Please. Just, just yeah. A little more. Little be yeah. And, and when I think of Aunt Mabel and no disrespect to her, when I think of Aunt Mabel, I think of, you know, the nosy aunt, right? Like the Well, you want her to be the I nosy started. aunt, maybe. Well, I mean Absolutely. So at approximately twelve fifteen PM uh that day, that that next day on March nineteenth, Mabel knocked on the door and still no one answered. So Aunt Mabel had a key that she kept for the times that she would take care of their dog, who was just a like a little black poodle. Um so she let herself into the silent home, only be horrified by what she found in an upstairs bedroom. Oh, Aunt Mabel. Yeah. So let's back it up a little bit. I don't want to give it all away yet. So Tom and Caleb were uh, a very quiet and private yet kind couple that, that lived in a uh, very quiet but modern neighborhood on the southeast side of town. And uh, for those familiar with the area, it was the, the Green Valley neighborhood. Okay. So having only been uh, recently developed in the 60s, there was there was a mix of all kinds, um, young growing families, elderly couples, you know, it, would, it had only been in existence for about 25, 30 years. Um, so Kay was a 39 year old kind religious woman who was raised by what seemed to be a loving family. She had a close uh, relationship with her dad. She had a couple brothers, um, you know, just seemed to be living the, the normal life. And so she had completed um, her nursing degree, worked at a local hospital for a time, uh, obtained her cosmetology license, and also worked as a reservation agent for Choice Hotels, who, you know, the major hotel chain that, um, you know, for bookings and such. Cho- Choice Hotels, just just a side note, major I- employer for a long period of time in the Minot it was, area. Mm-hmm. It was back when call centers were, were popping up contact all across centers. the Midwest, contact, contact call centers mm-hmm. popping up all over the Midwest. The Midwest actually s- swept up a lot of those jobs because of how kind we were. And that was before how they all... How kind and how inexpensive we were. For sure. Mm-hmm. Kind and inexpensive. The cost and then, of living was different. Then, then they, they, found, they found people who were even cheaper internationally and, and a lot of those jobs would eventually go away. But a lot of people in this area anyways went through and worked right. through Choice right. Hotels. And that was a national organization, yep. travel benefits, big employer in this area at that time. And yeah, I mean, we had... A, I mean, hundreds one, and hundreds of people. So for a community of 30, 35,000 for one employer that's got lot. several hundred people, right. it's a lot. And we were, you know, that was one of three contact centers or contact call centers too. So um, it kind of gives you an idea, a, a, you know, huge, huge employer. Well, and, and, and a big launching point for a lot of people's careers who a lot of younger people got right. hired, yep. 20 year olds, early 20s, anyways. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Kay was, you know, like I said, quiet, but very friendly woman. She was active in our church, very, very active in our church, First Assembly of God. Uh, she swam at the local Easter, Easter seals with family and just really had just kind of the average, average life. So Tom wasn't quite as average. Tom was a very meticulous, uh, sometimes troubled 33-year-old. And this is her husband. This is her husband, yep. Who survived, uh, and he, he survived a, a rocky and unhappy childhood, um, but not without damage. Tom's mother struggled with mental health issues, having attempted suicide while Tom was just beginning high school. Um, Tom's father had left the family early when he was a child. So home life did not seem very stable for him at any point. 
And it wasn't known to many outside of the family or outside of family and close friends. But Tom also struggled with with mental health issues. And I mean, having you know having a childhood like that, uh, an environment like that, I, it's uh, you you're bound to, right? So shortly after meeting Kay, Tom was treated for two separate suicide attempts, uh, one in 1985 and one in 1986, um, but he did not want his new girlfriend to know. So he kept that very quiet, um, you know, and, and again, it was the 80s. There wasn't a lot of suicide awareness. It was always, um, it was a very different attitude when someone died by suicide or even attempted suicide. So it's, it's still people, it, it's still a, an issue today. Absolutely. It's, still, yep. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, yeah. Uh, so Tom, he started seeing a counselor off and on um, after those, threw himself into work. and uh, But he had he had difficulty keeping jobs or even staying in positions for very long, even while self-employed as a CPA. So he did tax preparation and then, you know, did the accounting side of things, bookkeeping, those types of so things. So he's, he, he's kind of bouncing from job to job. He really is, And, yeah. and really uh, a path of instability uh, or a pattern sure. of instability. Pattern, yeah, yeah. yep, yep. And, and looking at his resume, um, which was included in um, in some of our research, he, he didn't stay at a job, lo- job longer than a year, really, and having six jobs in six different years, in six in a six consecutive year, following you know, the, it is the, very much a pattern of, of that instable or well, it's, unstable. It's, it's, I'm, it's too bad he couldn't get help. Right. Yeah, it is. And I think he tried. I, well, I think well, he if tried. He, if, he, if he's seeing the counselor, that, yep. that's effort. Absolutely. That is, that is, that Ab- is effort. Absolutely. And, and, you know, really, we, we don't know, um, you know, in the, in the 90s, Mental health was not discussed. If you had mental health issues um, or if you suffered from depression or anything, there was something wrong with you. It was not talked about. Right. You know, so we, we were at the very, very early points of starting the conversation, which is now in, in full force, I right. would say, in, in these times. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. That that conversation is, is very much more a part of the, the process in everyday life. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we've we've all been you know, we've all had someone in our family in that time frame. It might be us who suffered from it. it might be a family member. And and we can, if, if we were around that time. Well, it's a cycle. It was, and it was a, it was a stigma. I mean, it was for sure. Um, so, and I don't, I don't know that, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I, well, we'll get there. So putting that, uh, that job instability, um, together with some of other personality traits, his life continued to be, um, just unstable no matter how hard he tried to control it. And and he tried, you know, he's got that meticulous um, routine, those types of things. So that was his way of controlling the chaos in his life, right? So Tom and Kay were married in 1987 and lived in the house in Minot that her father built in 1966 in that same neighborhood. So it appeared that the volatile relationship that Tom had with his mother... Uh-huh. Tom, Tom, Tom did not just sneak up on us, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, something just fell in the studio here. That's funny. Sorry. Don, Don, Don's like. <gasps> All right. Is it happening? Uh, yeah. It makes know. me want to go lock the door. A little bit. Uh. Oh. Okay. Uh. Wow. All right. So it appeared that the volatile relationship that Tom had with his mother continued throughout Tom and Kay's marriage. His mother really seemed to struggle with Kay. Um, she refused to call her by her name, only refused or only, uh, referred to Kay as born again. She claimed that Kay had brainwashed Tom, took him away from her, um, took her, took him away from the Catholic church, um, called her a bitch, um, uh, took her. Oh, so. And these are all in letters, right? All in letters and cards, um, insulted her weight. Um, at one point I I believe called her. So Tom, Tom's mother is, is. Kind of a hardcore. She's a hardcore Catholic woman. It clearly, seemed, well, seems to be maybe maybe not living and, the appropriate Kay, Catholic life, Kay, you know, by calling someone those things. No, but yeah. no, but and Kay is also religious, but not Catholic. But not Catholic is what I've gathered yeah. here, right? They, yeah. So hurling religious. She's, she swam at the yeah active in her church, swimming yeah, at the Easter yep, seals, yep. all of that. And, and, and so she even you know Kay even brought Tom, um, in well, and and she. Uh, Angie, his mother, claimed that Kay brainwashed Tom um, and took him away from the Catholic Church. So, you know, and bringing him into her church was a big old deal, right? Um, you know, and it's it's not the it's the nineties, not the sixties. You know, look, there's a staggering history yeah. of violence associated with. Uh, religious beliefs and there's anger and there's 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 a lot of feelings related well, to that sure. so when somebody takes somebody from your team uh boy tom 
Tom's mom did not want to yeah. give give Tom up. Right, and to and she just rough. hurled these vile things. Um, told Tom, "You're so dumb. That's impossible to take." Um, they may brainwash you. Um, then referring to her family, to Kay's family, um, saying that you know, don't don't let them near me. Um, you tell your family that you're not talking to me anymore, and see how they feel. Tom's, about them. I'm sorry, Tom's mom is crazy. She's she's uh, she's yeah. whoa. Oh man, that's intense. It's very. I'm sorry, intense. You're, you're basically you're, you're you're basically writing hate mail to somebody. This she she was writing hate mail to her his her daughter-in-law. Yeah, yeah, and. And her daughter-in-law, so... Um, Stemming so, mostly from what she perceives as brainwashing of, of poor Tom, who has already clearly been struggling throughout his whole life. And if this is what his mom's like, well, it's no wonder. Right. Well, and at one point um, says to him, says to, in a letter, um, says to Tom, her son... Oh, I, just can't, I can't wait. Those son of a bitches born again brainwashed you, but not me. Tom, wake up, get back where you belong. God showed you once you did very wrong and more will come. And then are you... That, that's are you, terrifying this to is me. To his that's mo- terrifying. This is from his mother. Um, and then, you know, they will never brainwash me. Uh, what kind of a woman is she to hang out or hang on to a man that's almost 10 years younger? Um, you didn't take my advice, now leave um, and then leave oh, me alone. Interesting. It's, yeah. Well, that's, well, that presents a really interesting psychological angle that his mother is perceiving her her boy was taken advantage of right. by right. A, a, maybe a, a powerful woman, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, if because look, Kay sounds pretty independent. She sounds she's got a, again her cosmetology license. She's held a job. She worked at the hospital. Sure. Is yeah. involved in the community. Easter seals. She's got her shit together. She's, she's, she's got her busy. shit together. Yeah. Yep. She, yep. She's busy. Yep. She she has a, a, a go do it nature clearly. Right. Yep. And and yep. so her it sounds to me like the mom was losing her grasp on her son a little bit and, 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 and felt threatened, right. felt threatened right. by this woman to a degree and that maybe she was taking advantage of her boy. Well, and this had been going on for a couple of, a couple of years. Um, you know, from this w- sounds like this would go on throughout the latter half of the eighties. Well, and, and poor and, Kay, what did she see in Tom with this? His, his life is a mess. And why, why, why isn't, why isn't this a red flag with a hey mom man, like that? Hey, you love, know, you love who I you know, love. I the know. heart wants what the heart wants, man. But it just, it's a rack. Well, yeah, but he red flags are, are are red for a reason, folks. I've I've said it before. I I knit this I knit this scarf with all the red flags you gave me. Yeah. Um. So, Jeez. but but it's but you know it's a it's easy for us to armchair quarterback this. No, it is. Know? I know. I know. Um. At, at one point, uh, Kay even calls Tom, um Angie Tom's mother, her mother in law, out, and uh, and you know how she's encouraging him. Um, the church has helped, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then she says, many of Tom's problems that he has had have stemmed from his childhood and your negative outlook on life. What affects Tom also affects me. The man I love um, more than anything, anytime, um, you know, I mean, she's she's going on and going on and, and really just calling her mother-in-law out because her mother-in-law sounds this, like a vile That's a letter she wrote back to the mother-in-law. Yeah, yeah. and it was, it was in response to a horrendous... You, you don't want to read it in its entirety? Uh, no, it's actually hard to read. Okay. It's, it's difficult to read. Um, okay. I wanted to, but it's, uh, I think I think you get the point. You know, so imagine the stress between the two of them, between Tom and Kay. Well, it's it's so you much know? pressure. It's, it's if he's beyond. not holding the job, that add, that that adds pressure. Yeah, um, you, you put a, You said they, they have a baby in here somewhere? Well, they will, yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. And so Tom and Kay also tried to have children, and sadly, they had at least um, one pregnancy and in miscarriage. Oh. And from what I can tell, they then began the adoption process with New Horizons Adoption Services in Bismarck, North Dakota. And it's it's unclear, very a- unclear. Admirable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're, and for whatever reason, they, they really didn't go into any infertility issues or anything like that. So, um but and it is unclear as to what year, but it it seems to be around 1992, and you know life continued to march on. So they did the adoption process um, or paperwork, which it does it can take a little while, and uh, things did not seem to get any easier for the couple or mainly Tom. Uh, according to the counselor notes that were released, money was tight, um, which if you're jumping from job to job, it's hard to it's hard to do that, and he. Uh, also in those notes, he continued to have anger and issues towards specific work associates. And in October of 
1992, the pressure seemed to be too much. Tom left for work and didn't come home afterwards. So he just got up from work and started to drive. Simple as that. Didn't tell Kay where he was going, nothing. Some sort of altercation or probably got got pissed off about something at work and... And kept it to himself and decided he just needed to I'm out get here. the hell out. Yep. So um, I, after work, or what, what time he was supposed to come home, Kay, Kay called law enforcement and requested an attempt to locate on Tom. So basically she filed a missing persons. It, you know, it's referred to as an attempt to locate. He was found in Brookings, South Dakota, about seven hours from Minot. His reasoning, he just needed to get away and think. Red flag. Well, that's, that's a little scary. I, I had to drive seven hours to think what we've all been there. We've all needed to hop into the car and just clear your brain. I have, so I turn have, some music on, I yep. drive around the hood, like maybe, maybe an hour around, right? I'll, I'll drive around, yep. but, um, but seven hours without a call to anyone without anything. Yeah. And look from just from, from the few times that in, in my experience, people who have angry altercations at work. Mm-hmm. There's there's some internalized shit going on. Oh, that, for sure, because that's where it's that's where it's bubbling pa- out. Yes. So, I mean, who knows? And and in in if you're like fighting your coworkers and and, and yelling at them all the time, well, I, a I lot mean, of questions it, pop up. What's going yes, on at do. home? Yes, they What's do. going on? You know, it, it, that's that's the biggest thing. You know, you if if someone who stay the hell away from the person arguing with everybody at work, guys, because <laughs> you you don't want to be on their list. Trust, trust me. Yeah, it, it's. It, yeah, I mean, I, I just driving seven hours, and, and Kay was starting to get frustrated. You know, she was she was definitely starting to get frustrated, um, and and conflict seemed to continue, but it it seemed exacerbated uh, by Tom's anxiety. Just it did not help. Um, in January 1993, one of Tom's largest clients, um, we'll just say Philip, um, he did bookkeeping uh, for him. Tom for, Tom did bookkeeping for Philip. Yep. For yep. as 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 pre- previously mentioned, he had some self-employed work. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, he Philip fired Tom, so this client was a bankruptcy a- attorney and was in Bismarck, um, which is about an hour and a half away from Minot, uh, for work while Tom was in the office by himself. When Philip returned, returned Tom was gone, and he noticed that someone had gone through personal papers in his desk drawers. So Philip confronted Tom, and he immediately denied it. But shortly after they hung up, Tom called Philip back. And said that he was looking for paper clips and may have bumped his desk. I didn't do it. Oh well, well here's this really Wait, shitty excuse actually, that I, I thought of. It. Yeah. Maybe I bumped your desk so hard that all your papers. Right. Right. It, so not a good one. And and he is just. I mean, he's beside himself. Philip told Tom that he couldn't have someone work for him that he didn't trust, but that he would. They they could work out some sort of working a, a arrangement. You know, something a little bit different. And Tom was incredibly upset. Um, Tom said that they needed to talk and that he would be right down. And Philip's a little, little annoyed because, you know, somebody was just looking through his desk drawers and he had some errands to run and, and Tom wants to talk. Um, but he didn't talk. He simply gave back the key and left as he began to, began to cry. He got emotional and just left. So, so, wow. So Tom's like, we need to talk right now. I'm coming down there. And, and Philip's like, God, really? Right. Kind of frustrated. And, Dude. Dude, yeah. dude shows up crying, shoves a key in his hand, and basically scampers, scampers away. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with emotion. No, nothing at all. So it's, it's like, hey man, it's it's a shitty client. He was, it's or a shitty situation. You know, they it was like twenty to th- twenty to thirty thousand dollars of income is what this what this client was providing to Tom. So. It's, it's, he's a, he's a key client he's at that point. Big he, time. For sure. Big time. Wow. So Philip, uh, Philip thought for a few days, um, and, and thought that he was maybe a bit hasty in his decision to, to yell at Tom. So on January 27th, so about four days later, Philip, um, called, um, called Tom. Tom had some, uh, files to give to Philip. And, uh, so Tom brought them down and, and Philip offered a couple of solutions, um, you know, even taking files home and working on them at home. He just, he just had a level of distrust for him. Tom didn't want to talk to him at all and just left. Well, what, a, what a thing to, to have, to kind of feel so bad for somebody that you're like, gosh, I don't really trust you. So I don't want you in my office, but I'll employ you and you can work at home. Like that, right. we, we, we've mentioned North Dakota nice on here previously. <laughs> this, is, this is one of those. It, yeah. it is. It yeah. really is. Well, and really what, I mean, what what was he doing? You know what I mean. 
if he was digging through his drawer. What what's he digging for anyway? What's he digging for? And you know, Jeez. hey, is anything is anything missing? No? Okay then. Whatever. You know, so I think Philip maybe did overreact a little bit, but I guess we weren't it's possible. we also weren't yeah. there. So uh so Tom was was growing increasingly anxious and terrified that something bad was going to happen. So he confided in a friend um in February about this situation. And there was also an issue with an, with a former employer that he was there for about uh, six, eight months, if I recall. Oh, not even, about four, <laughs> about four months. And the his former boss had said that um, he had stolen paperwork and stolen files. And it was at the this time... This guy really likes paperwork. I, well, Tom he, likes his paperwork. He's a CPA. I mean, no offense to you, uh, you bean counters out there, but... I think that's, I think, I think those, those types of personalities do like paperwork. So, what kind of, um, what kind of papers plus, are you hiding plus in? Plus, it was back the here? 90s. Uh, we, you know, if you're going to bring your, you know, processor. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, um, this former employer actually uh, filed a complaint with the police department about these missing files. And at that time, that is when, um, in October of 1992, um, so just a few months prior to this, uh, Tom had started his own firm again, or his own his own CPA out of his home. So he was convinced that something bad C- was going CPA to happen. CPA is accounting. Yep. Just, okay. Yep. Yep. Certified yep. professional Certified accountant. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hardest tests I think out there really? is what I've heard. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so he's confiding in his friend, um, continuing to see his counselor, and he is growing more and more uh, suspicious, more and more anxious and worried that his ex-employer, the one that, um, the, the one that filed the police report on him uh, was going to get him. They're, they're going to get me. They're going to get he, him. He said, they're going to get me. So there's, there's some real paranoia going. Big time. He, I, what I'm hearing, he's, he's getting anxious. He's getting nervous. It's like, well, over, so, over what? Uh, and I guess but, so, some people right. just have anxiety. I get that. Yeah, That's, absolutely. It's, it's a condition. Yeah, yeah. There's paranoia. And I just like, I, I'm listening to Tom and I'm going, gosh, could medicine have helped this guy? I I think so. I mean, he was, he, he was clearly unstable, clearly. Um, and so he also claimed to his friend uh, and, and brought up several times to this friend, um, his friend Dick, um, that he was just, he was really scared. And um, he had... How, Don, Don, if I, if I just, if we show up in a couple of weeks to do one of these and I'm like, Don, I'm scared. Right. I'm like, going to say... What, how are you feeling right there? Like, why are you scared? Pull your shit together, friend. No, like, what's I'm going just, on? I'm just like, really scared. I think somebody's going to get me. I, I like would it, start to, I would, I would question that because it's like, this behavior is not you, right? You know, and, and so I, I think, I, I, at least you're, or maybe you're hiding it, I don't know. Um, but Dick was, or uh, Dick said that, that Tom was just it would It would freak me out if one of right. my friends was freaked out about something yeah. is what I'm getting at. Like, yeah. if, you know, if you're, if, if, if you got a friend that just feels like yeah. it was something, that's freaky. It's, it's big time. And, and so Tom, Tom told Dick that he knew something about his employer. His employer had a gun in his office and he just kept bringing up that he was so scared about it. So the next day after they had talked, so um, Tom was hinting that he has some secret knowledge. Yeah. That Get, could. Hang on. So oh Tom, boy. Tom told Dick that, uh, they were involved in, uh, the church group was involved in the adult bookstore. Um, they didn't want the adult bookstore, porn shop, whatever you want to call it. Um, in town. And so they so, were working on this project together. Wait, and the, so Tom, the, ch- the church group did not have an ownership in the adult book sport. No, bookstore, they're against it. They're very against, much against it. it. Okay. That, so, so they were meeting and, and that's, that's how Tom and Dick were, um, were chatting. So anyway, uh, they were part of the team to get rid of the adult books, yes, bookstore yep. together. So when he called, when he called Dick and, and we're told the anti porn coalition, <laughs> right. That he had, he'd taken his own, uh, investigation and all this stuff. And that he was now involved with the mafia and was scared the mafia would come and do something to him. Holy shit. I Tom, mean, Tom told his buddy that he he got involved with the mafia and yeah. he was scared they're going to come and get him. Yeah. Can, so, can, I, can I just... Uh, side note, because it came up and these guys were fighting against porn really, really, really quick. North Dakota was the first and only place in which somebody was prosecuted for cunnilingus. Really? Yes. Back at the early 1900s when there were like laws against certain sexual acts, somebody was actually convicted in a court of law for going down on a woman. Wow. In North Dakota. 
So here we are, and here we are. About a century later, you've got a, still, a church, still fighting a weird st- fight. Still fighting. They're, they were fighting against porn. Little do they know the internet's coming, baby. Oh gosh. <laughs> you you yeah. can't stop it. Sorry. Wow. Weird. <laughs> weird fact about our state. Um, it's so interesting and strange. I had to share it. Now you. Now you threw me off my game here. Uh, okay. Yes. So, <laughs> um, about um, March 9th, um, You know. So time is progressing. Um, Tom called. Dick and said that he couldn't keep his, his usual meeting. Um, but he could probably see him next Wednesday, which would have been the 17th of March. Um, Tom never contacted Dick and did not keep his meeting with him on the 17th of March. So things are, things are starting to unravel unravel. And, and you can see as, as we're going through, you can just kind of start to see the deterioration of his mental health. It's, it's, it's building up. I can mm-hmm. feel it. So Tom was, um, you know, things started to look up a little bit. Uh, Tom was busy with tax clients. It, it's about that time, right? And then, um, so backing up a, a little bit before this conversation with with Dick, they got word that they would be adopting a baby girl in Houston. So end of March or end of end of February. Wow. So leaving almost immediately for a drive to Texas, they picked up their new daughter, who was eight week old, Gabrielle Clara Lip on March 1st and they made their way back to Minot stopping along the way to show off their new little girl. And so stopping these, along the way, like where like in Bismarck, Fargo, to you friends, know, to family, friends to people yep. they knew, yep. so they church, can, church yeah. fellows. They're and stuff. excited. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and so, um, this conversation with Dick is kind of going out throughout this whole time. Like he's really, really nervous, picks up their, they pick up their daughter. They come back home. Life is, Wow. Life seems perfect, right? So in the two weeks to follow um, picking up Gabrielle, things unraveled at warp speed, all the while fooling the outside world that life was as good as can be. And on March 15th, Kay confided in a friend two weeks later after they'd picked up the baby. Kay confided in a friend that Tom still hadn't held the baby and that she was worried he was going to leave again. Meanwhile, Tom was canceling his upcoming appointments with clients, um, telling them that they need to find someone new, that he can't do their taxes anymore, claimed that he was ill, not talking about this baby girl, nothing. Wow. So none, none of Tom's friends, he's not talking about this baby, and not wanting to hold the baby. Not at all. Still had not held the baby. <sighs> not at all. So... What happened that day when Aunt Mabel went over um, to see where everybody was? Uh, when she let herself in to the house, she called out, yelled for them, yelled for Kay, and it's silent, completely silent. Um, nobody, nobody responds. She does it no- multiple times. So they lived in a in some kind of a split foyer home to a to a point, or maybe more of a raised ranch type type home. They, she goes up the steps and at the top of the steps is, um, is where the nursery was. And in the nursery, she sees, um, the body of Gabrielle Clara and bloody. Mm. She immediately goes out, goes to the neighbor's house, Van Berkham. They live to the West. I believe they live, they live next door, um, to the lips and she goes over there and brings Mr. Van Berkham along and he does the exact same thing. Goes to the top of the stairs into that bedroom, sees the lifeless body of the baby backs out and they go in and, and call the, the PD. So what to, what to find, you know, I, you can't imagine, first of all, it's, it's difficult enough to see a lifeless body of anybody, but then to see the lifeless body of an infant, um, you know, they're somewhat panicking. They, they call, um, they call the police department, the police department shows up. Um, mind you, at the very same time, there were a few PD units delayed because there was a, a train derailment at the sixth street underpass by the library. 
has nothing to do with case, but it's it, at the it, very same time. It's one hell of a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the city in the of Minot. Minot. So, um, which is in this underpass is a pain in the ass. It floods all the time. It's it's you know it's and and then there now there's a, a train derailment. So well, that freaks me out because I spend a lot of time under that underpass. Well, it was ninety three. I know. <laughs> It is, I've, I've never not once like thought about that. Gosh, what if that train just like fell on me? So <laughs> when uh, when they, the PD officers get there, they go to clear the house. You know, they know they now know that there is a deceased or what appears to be a deceased infant, um, bloody, you know, not a normal death. Um, but it does come out as an unattended death. And um, mind you, nobody's looked in the rest of the house. You know, Mr. Van Berkham went up, came right back out. So where are Kay and Tom? So the PD officers, they, they go in and they go to the basement um, to find a, the, the black family dog. Um, little, it's a little black poodle um, who appears to have been beaten to death in the basement. Okay, mm. something's not right. They go upstairs and they see an absolute uh, nightmare of a bedroom. A woman who appears to have been beaten to death with some sort of object, blood absolutely everywhere, covering each and every surface of this bedroom. On the corner of the bed, they see a hammer. They then check on the infant, who appears to have also been beaten to death. Bludgeoned. Bludgeoned. Bludgeoned with a hammer. Um... Where's Tom? They're not able to find Tom or, or you know, the other person that, that lives in this home. And uh, the bathroom door is locked. So this took me a minute to figure out um, the layout of the house. So when you walk to the top of the stairs, the, the, the nursery is kind of the first bedroom that you go to. And then there are two ways to get into the hall bathroom. One from the master bedroom and one, one from, from the, the hallway. hallway. Both doors are locked. So one of the PD officers is trying to, um, you know, one, one of them goes outside trying to open up the window. Um, and then they, they do eventually get in there. They, they pick the, they basically pick the, the lock, um, to get into it and they see the lifeless body, um, up against the, the doors. Basically there's, you know, blood and, and urine, um, and appears to be deceased. So he is um, the lifeless body of Tom uh, Lip is bluish, purplish, and um, laying on his stomach, his head's by the toilet. There are six slash marks on his right wrist, and his glasses and a utility knife are found by the door. The bathtub partially filled with water and blood, um, and just no, no living being in that home. What? It's it's a nightmare. So when they, when, and you've heard it on a, you've heard him discussed on a different episode in a lot of the cases that we talk about, um, Aaron Rash from the state crime lab, um, he came up, he was maybe the hardest working man in show business. <laughs> he was, he was a crime scene investigator, kind of like a one man show. It, and it didn't, it didn't make the, the final cut, but our previously uh, guest Tom Slurby even had a lot of compliments for Mr. Rash yeah, during yeah. our interview with Tom. Right, right. I mean, he was a, a phenomenal uh, um, state employee. In um, fact, Tom was kind enough to say that he might be the only guy who works as hard as Tom does. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when they go to process the crime scene in the bedroom uh, of where Caleb has been found bludgeoned to death with what appears to be the bloody hammer at the corner of the bed, they um, and they string the room for blood spatter, this room is completely covered in human blood. Um, the phone cord, there was a blue telephone that was found to the side. The cord had been ripped from um, in two pieces and it wasn't ripped from the wall. It was just pulled out and ripped in two pieces. So you have to wonder, you know, were they in a fight? Um, and nobody's going to know. Nobody knows. There's nobody left to tell them about it. Um, when they, when they walked into the home, the home was very, very, very neat and orderly. Um, especially with a newborn, you'd think that there would be shit everywhere <laughs> and no. Um, 
the, the outside doors were secure. No lights were on. I mean, so they had, it, it was evident that Tom was the one who, who did this. This was a double homicide, suicide. How long did they figure the bodies had been there? That's the, that's the problem. They don't know. So in the autopsy reports, um, uh, Gabrielle, the, the infant, had um, a little bit of food in her stomach. She maybe had just eaten, found next to the rocking chair in the, in the nursery, um, was a um, nearly empty bottle with still a little bit of formula in there. There was hardly anything in Kay's stomach contents and hardly anything in Tom's as well. So that would say that, you know, perhaps... Um, in the morning? Yeah. Maybe? The, yeah. yeah. I mean, not that morning, but a couple mornings previous because you have right. Mabel that came there the day before and right. nothing. So maybe a few days you'd figured maybe the level yep. of decomposition. That yeah. The, they, tell, they, it was suggested that perhaps, you know, very, um, very early in the morning on the 18th of March. And this is the 19th of March. So Kay's clothing was, was laying on a chair on her side of the bed and Tom's appeared to be on his side. And so it, it appeared as if they had just gone to bed. Um, so they obviously hadn't gotten up to do their, you know, maybe to feed the baby, but that's, uh, that's about it. Um, there was very little blood found in Gabrielle's room. So it, it was there. Part of the theory is that um, the baby was um, possibly killed in the master bedroom as well with Kay. Um, and you wonder, you know, when you put together the pieces of the, the telephone cord, um, you know, was the questions that came up in my mind was, you know, in what, in what order, what That's caused, first questions, yeah, yeah it, what, what caused this? Well, how, how premeditated was it? Well, there had to have been, it had to have been something because on, you know, Monday and the, and the end of the week prior, he starts canceling tax appointments for this week. So he's, he knows what's going on. So he is, he is deteriorating, he's, he's, deteriorating. In, in his mind, he's planning something dark. Right. Jesus. So, um, with the hammer though, with, with the hammer, uh, yeah. So what, so, this, the sick creep can touch the baby after it's dead, after he murders it. So he doesn't want to touch the baby. He kills everybody and then he puts the baby back in the nursery right? and then, right. and then takes his own life. Yeah. Are you sure it wasn't the mafia? <sighs> I guess I'm not, not you, but uh, just the notion this guy's paranoid. People are out to get him. You're out to make an example. If you've crossed, if you've crossed the wrong people, I've, I've seen enough documentaries, read enough books, watched enough movies. That's all based in truth. The, ma- the mafia will do terrible, terrible, terrible things. Right. What if the mafia showed up, did that? How, I mean, how hard, how hard is this murder to make it look like? Well, there's a, there's a way to find, um, you know, there's a way to find, uh, if, if someone dies by suicide or attempts suicide by, you know, he used, there was a utility knife found by his body. Um, you know, it, typically if it's self-inflicted, and mind you, this is his third attempt, and this one was successful. Um, if if it's self-inflicted, you know, there's typically hesitation marks, uh, something, you know, something to that effect. Um, and he had tried this before, you know, um, and nobody else had any talk about the mafia. No, no, this no. was just him. So. That was that was one of his own paranoid statements too. Right. right. But it's just it's it's weird. It's weird to. There's a, there's his whole life is weird and he, and and he was odd. And I, I am, I, I I am betting and uh, that he, he broke and and, and he, and he he cracked and he snapped. Yeah. But it's just weird when you you throw that out there. I I looked at the wrong documents and and they work with the mafia and I saw the wrong thing. Now they're going to get me. This paranoia, this, this anxiety, all of it. Um, yeah. So, you know, putting it all together, you know, what happened? Um, how about a motive, you know, in, in looking back at some of the, the newspaper articles from the minor daily news, which is a local paper here. Um, you know, there was one, you know, Lieutenant Larry Backlenko was quoted as saying, we may never know the motive and there's a good, good gosh darn chance. We don't, um, other than just the deterioration of his mental health. But I don't think, I mean, I don't think anybody can pinpoint, you know, perhaps it was the adoption of the baby that, that was the trigger who, who knows, um, 
Is this is just like two weeks after they get the baby? This is two weeks after they get the baby. Yeah, she was 10 weeks old when, oh. when, she, when he killed her. Ima- so, imagine being the person that gave the, that baby to these people. Imagine being the, the, the agency that gave that baby to this killer. Well, How, like, Joan, it's interesting you ask because they were, they were actually in the news, in the hot seat for a while. They, it was investigated. You know, did they do everything they could? Did they follow protocol? Did they follow procedure? What procedure needs to be changed? Um, to the point where um, the state's attorney at the time, um, Doug Matson, he, um, like he the, actually... That should spur some change. It really, it really should. Like, I'm sorry. How, how does a guy... It's so easy to know after the fact, Don, because we've got everything laid out to us and we really we know what happened and there's all this information there. And, and there's a reason these things happen and new protocols are put into place and, and, and I get all that. Mm-hmm. But it's, it seems like they missed a lot. I mean, it just seems like giving Tom a baby with with the really shitty job history, and I I don't know if you if you're sharing mental health or medical records with somebody that's when the, you're that's the thing when is, when you're when you're adopting. I would feel like that 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 should be part of the pr- the process. That is part of what has changed, actually. Good. Um, Good. To to what degree? It's it's hard to say. Just you know, because again, it was 1993, so it's hard to see what the what the actual laws were, but. Um, it, it's basically saying that, um, you know, Doug, Doug Matson wrote this letter to one of the representatives here in North Dakota. Um, and I quote, um, a key area of concern to this office is that there be the requirement that anyone wishing to adopt a child give a limited waiver of whatever rights they have of confidentiality for their physiological, medical, mental health and police records, yes. even if such records are, are covered by federal law. I understand the waiver procedure now in place, but by being discretionary, in essence, hinders different agencies from releasing relevant information. So it seemed like they wanted to, but it's, you know, everybody was kind of tripping over their own feet, right? You know, nobody was really talking to anybody. Well, there's there's so much red tape in government and, yeah. and, and everything changes and moves so slowly. And, and I get, uh, and I respect confidentiality, uh, confidentiality sure. Everybody laws. has that right. Yep. We yep. do. We yep. have that right. And I, and I love that right. However. In the case that you are being given a... A human a, life. A human life. Yeah. You 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 lose all those right. You right. lose that privilege of of protecting that information. Right. It's all got to be on the table. It it, it should be short you short know, of. It's... I mean short short of your your juvenile records. Okay. Like if if you were caught shoplifting or fighting when you were seventeen or something or smoking right. cigarettes. Right. Okay. Short of your juvenile records, but any anything that has occurred in your life as an adult, medically sure. or criminally or otherwise. Um, I I have I have relatives who've adopted, and I was one of their referrals, mm-hmm. and. I know, and, and they just explained it to me. They had they had to have several different types of referrals, not just you had to have a family referral, you had to have an employment referral, you had to have a friend referral, and, and different people who, and I had a, about a 30-minute interview so that my relative sure. could adopt. Right. And I, I don't imagine, I don't know what the process was like, but I'm even thinking about Tom's mother, and maybe she, just, she could just crush it and fake somebody in an interview, but man... That lady, like if you're just interviewing the people who might come into association with this baby, again, flags, red flags, they seem so obvious when we can look at this after the fact. It's, it's, that's the tragedy here. It is, well, yeah, we have to look at this after this, the fact. This guy, yeah. this guy, this guy was about to, to, to freaking break and he got handed mm-hmm. a baby and he mauled that child with a hammer. And his wife, yeah, yeah. Uh, Doug continues in the letter and says, uh, Doug Matson, again, the, the state's attorney at the time, requiring such a limited waiver would help the investigator to have the information and thereby the ability to make a more informed decision of whether the adoptive parents to be could be good parents. I think that says it right there, you know, and um, so kind of going back into his mental health, um, because it, again, it's all after the fact. We're We're talking about this case because something went wrong. It was found that, that, you know, the adoption agency did do absolutely everything according to protocol and procedure. According to current protocol. Yeah. I mean, and, and look, and it's you, not you, their fault. It's, it's no, the nineties. It's, Again, it's don't not. Talk about and I'm not, I'm not trying to harp on them. I'm just, I'm like putting myself in the position of, of that adoption agent. Oh, can you imagine that person? That? She has, she, he or she guarantee PTSD right. The, the, right. the rest of her life. Right. And, and, and obviously the rest of the family, if, if your, your daughter was finally able to adopt and, and clearly you have a loving father who's calling in to check on you and, and wants to see his, his new newborn, right. um, granddaughter it's yeah it's it's horrifying yeah to i mean to think about what they're what they're going through too well um, and i just so, wonder about those moments leading up to it all too don and like what what was k you know how was k acting to people and 
Were there people telling her you got to get out of there and, and stuff like that? Like I, you Not know, one friend mentioned that. Really? Only one friend said that if he, that, that Kay had said, if he leaves again, she's gone. She didn't claim if he attempts suicide or anything like that. It was if he leaves again, like he did in October prior to this, she's gone. That's it. Just That's like the only as, time that was mentioned by any of the interviews. And they did, uh, a hun- oh my gosh, so all, they did so many interviews. There's so many interviews. And, but here's, this is, this is where I get pissed off. Um, so also that showed up at the scene of the, uh, at the home of, of the crime scene, um, two pastors arrived um, and these were pastors from their, that church, their church. From Kay's church. From Kay's church, Kay and Tom's church. Um, they arrived and advised the um, investigating officers that um, one of them, Pastor Meyer, had talked with Kay and Tom on Tuesday at the church. So Tuesday, this is Friday. And at that time, Tom stated to him that he thought about killing himself by putting water in the bathtub and using some electrical cord to plug in and electrocute himself. Jeez Louise. So they found the bodies on Friday and on Tuesday, Tom had revealed that in confession. So that was maybe one of the last times that anybody saw yep. Tom, Kay, and Gabrielle alive. Together, yeah. It was, and <sighs> yeah, because they were, um, yeah, they were supposed to meet. Um, they were supposed to meet. So kind of looking at all of this, you know, is that where the phone cord came from? Is that what he was going to do? Um, you know, was he, it's, it's, there are so many unanswered questions with this. It, it just, it, it. What is it, it about the phone cord well, that gets you? Um, what, what led up to that? What was, what, why, why was the phone cord not even ripped out of the wall, but ripped in two and found next to Kay's body? You know, um, there were, there was no evidence or no talk of her being bound, um, or the child being bound, you know, so what was he going to do with that? Was he going to try and strangle her with that? What was that? I don't know why I'm stuck on the phone cord, but I'm stuck. I, well, I, I feel like there was likely some sort of escalation and perhaps Kay felt like she was going to be in danger right. and was right. saying she was going to call 911. If you don't, I could see Kay not wanting to call 911 and saying, look, if you don't stop acting like this, I'm going to call 911. Stop or I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to call 911. Mm-hmm. And before she even has a chance to pick that phone up and he's in psycho, psycho like I'm, I'm it gonna, wasn't ripped though. It wasn't ripped. And that from the wall, but right. the cord itself sure. that would be from the phone to the receiver. Sure. So you're hanging up a phone on a receiver, and if you just grab that and you, and you rip it, and you're like, oh, you call the cops now. You can't. Um, but but was she but was she sleeping when he when he bludgeoned her? He seems like somebody who does not. Um, this is. I, I mean, I could spend forty five minutes getting into his mental his mental stability and, and his his mind because that is that is why I've had such a hard time writing this one is because what is going through his head? What caused him to do this obviously this was premeditated right and so he does not seem somebody who's going to be able to just you know um just take the bull by the horns right he's going to do it while she's sleeping so she can't fight back that's what that's what my gut feeling says about this perhaps but but if but if he if he's if he's a real freak about it what if he wanted to kill the baby in front of her first i but i don't don't think he doesn't i don't think he operates like this you know maybe not so yeah the, the meticulousness of it it, pointing out that he was a meticulous person that was just part of it if he knew if he knew he was going to kill her and he wakes up to like he's going to go to the bathroom you still you rip that phone you don't want her to be able to call 911 if you are meticulously planning a murder you don't want anyone to call 911 but that's so, why that's why I think he would attack her because he seems like a real uh even if you're planning an, an attack on her and if you're if you're planning this you just you don't want any risk what if what if it's a glancing blow and she scrambles away and can call 911 sure. like there's yeah. You, yeah. You, you know that there's there's different things so if you're if you're going to kill her and you're going to kill the baby and there's a phone there you, you make sure just, just in case you don't let that phone but, be in a usable situation and, and this is probably pertinent information for you to have um and why I'm probably fighting this so hard is is you know she was laying in bed it was as if she had never or she hadn't gotten out 
you know, so I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. And maybe he was, maybe he was planning, you know, to make sure that that wasn't even an opportunity or, or an well, that's option what I'm looking at whether or not she tried to go for it. Right. I just, it's a different story. I, yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking at him for sure. Didn't want that opportunity to even present itself. Should something go wrong? Maybe he panics. There's, there's all these, these variables. I can, yeah. I can't even begin to imagine what's going through the mind of a killer. I don't, I don't function that way, but as I can just, just logistically, eliminating things and processing it. Sure. That's just quick theory is yeah, yeah. You, you don't, you don't want anybody to be able to call 911. Maybe you want to kill the baby first. She, she wakes up and reacts to the baby, but if she's laying there in bed and it sounds like the room is, is such a bloodbath that you almost might not even be able to tell if the body was moved or not. Right. It, 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 it right. doesn't, you know, if those details aren't there, you can usually say, you can usually tell, like in the Nugabauer case, you could tell somebody was drugged down the hallway sure. after they were killed right. and put there. But there was, uh, there was so much, so much blood. I, so I, it, I think, yeah, it's, it's, well, but, and there was very little blood found in the, in the nursery. So, you know, was there, well, there must've been a trail of blood. They then. didn't have to string, they didn't have to string the room. Yeah. Um, in the nursery. So, no. um, yeah, it's, I, I have been thinking of this case. I've been sitting on this case for about six weeks now and I, I, yay, yay, it has been on my brain. So I, a couple of other interesting things. Um, there was no suicide note found. Mm. So again, no even remotely jumbled answer. You know, if, I mean, if the way he's talking about mafia, there's nothing. He didn't leave that. His brothers commented that um, he wouldn't. That wouldn't be him. He was too meticulous. He was. He he wouldn't have left that. Hmm. Um, well, so curious because yeah. it seems like, as you mentioned, there's a lot of interviews with friends, family, coworkers, people who mm -hmm. are associated with these mm -hmm. guys. In so many of these situations, there are there you get the na the neighbor or the relative or the brother that's like, wow. Just never would have thought it would happen. I just never, never would have thought he or she were, was capable of something like that. They were never quiet, but coming. they were they were quiet, but they were nice. That's all. So that's did, all they were ever described as. So nobody's like, oh yeah, Tom. He was a fucking mess, and no, I it, definitely, I definitely could could see him being. I'm not surprised this happened. Nobody had were, that reaction. There were people. Yeah, no, nobody. It just seems nobody every time something like this happens, everybody's like, "Oh, I'm so surprised." No, well, and they, I think people were. They they just they thought he was a little off. I mean, no, nobody weird. wants to think somebody they know is a killer. I right. get that. Well, and, and and you know, even even Kay is not thinking this. She you know she confides in her friend. Um, you know, she was she was swimming at the at Easter Seals with friends on the 16th, so two days before her murder, and confides in one of her friends at, at around that same time frame that you know if he if he leaves again. She's gone. Well, she's making the comment. Well, he hasn't held the baby. We've had the baby two weeks. Right. He hasn't held it. He hasn't yeah. touched it. Yep. He, he's being weird. If he leaves again, but yeah. It, so I, it, I, I don't know. I, I'm just always looking. I'm always looking for that that moment when uh, there's again a neighbor, a relative, like yeah, not really surprised. He mm -mm. he was always weird. He was he was angry. And nope. when you mentioned he was angry to coworkers, this is several people now that we've covered in our stories, and it's just. Uh, uh, a, a similar trait I'm noticing is that a lot of people who had angry altercations with coworkers. Sure. Yeah. I I, I don't know if, if there if there's a if there's a 14 point murderer checklist. <laughs> that's one of the that's one of the that's one yeah. of the boxes, man. Well, I, I think it's I think uh, yeah. I mean I I'm sorry. It, it seems to be one of the boxes that that gets checked when somebody's gonna might be an eventual killer. Now it's not to say the two are no they intrinsic. Don't, they don't, no, but. You but know, whoa! There's, there's got to be signs. I'm seeing. You know? I'm seeing some similar characteristics but that's, here. But that's the thing is, I think there were signs here. The, that's what I'm getting the, at. I think there were signs here, but nobody, nobody, nobody wants no to say a gosh darn thing. <sighs> when when do we know we're seeing the signs, and what do we do about it? That's the question, right? Is like because well, no, nobody wants to think, holy shit, man, my. I got his buddy with a family and he's having a nervous breakdown. I think he might kill somebody. How mm. often does that happen? And what do you do with that information? But what do I, you do with that information? You call the cops? The cops can't act on it. Absolutely. We, they do. Can, they can, they can see, they can have a, a, a conversation. Not always. I mean, they can't, you know, they can't jump into the, into his mind, but if, if that, um, it, it's the, the wording is always an overt threat. So if, if, if they say anything that, that sounds like an overt threat, they're going to cause harm to themselves or anybody. That's when they can step in. But, until and how much then, can they actually do though? Well, it's, you know, committals you know? and stuff like that. And, but that's the whole thing that this is where, this is where our, this is where so much of our system is flawed, you know, because of, of those types of things. But then also, you know, the domestic violence situation, nobody said 
goddamn word. This is, I mean, this is. Well, was there signs of abuse? That's the thing. What, but you know what? You look at any physical. Look at nobody I knows. Know, nobody knows. But you look at you look at that case. Um, well, there's no record, anyways. There's no, there's record, no record that Kay was it. ever hit by him. Is what I'm. No. Maybe he was a control freak or something, right? right. And, and there's, yeah, there's other some, forms of abuse. Some emotional abuse, right? Maybe, some, some some emotion. Maybe yeah. it seemed like he was the one who was emotionally abused by his mother. Absolutely. And, and, and I don't know that he was. There doesn't seem to be a lot that he was treating Kay poorly, but that he was just kind of a weird guy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, right. So what, you know, but what, what signs that's, that's the, nah, that's, that's the part that stinks, um, you know, so much. I mean, the fact that we're even discussing this case, but there is no resolution. There's no court. There's nothing. There's no resolution. Well, and, uh, we, and, and he had been planning this for so, he had been planning this for so long. The The weekend prior, um, Kay's brother and his family, they were up from Fargo for class B tournament, right? Big deal. And yeah, the big deal huge, in the Midwest here, guys. Huge deal. Um, and, uh, and they were, they stayed with him. And one of the first questions, cause her brother requested strongly that he be able to walk around the house. He'd be able to walk around the house just to, and it's a good thing he did because his first question was, did you guys move the furniture in the living room? No. So the, the furniture was moved. Okay. Maybe Kay did that. Maybe I, I rearranged my, my living room somewhat. They go to the basement and they're walking around. Baby items were close to the steps they weren't there the day before the, the weekend before, um, you know, like baby toys and those types of things. Um, his office area, which yes, was meticulous, but there were papers everywhere in very neat piles. They were all in envelopes piled, ready to go. He had been planning this. How did nobody pick up on the signs? I, I that, that last part with this, with the brother that, well, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to, like I said, there's no resolution here, but I want to, I want to leave, I want to leave everybody with something. This was, um, one of the evidence, there was a teddy bear book, um, that was, that was found, um, with the year 1993 on it. And it was, it was found on the dining table, um, or on the table in the dining room. And there are four entries in it. And it says, uh, first entry is on Friday, February 26th, 1993, left mine up for Houston. On Monday, March 1st, 1993, at 3.15, picked up baby. On Saturday, March 8th, 1993, got back to Minot. On Wednesday, March 17th, 1993, Kim Vitko and Barb Ron came and visited. And that was the last entry in the book. Mm. Kay never saw it coming. No one saw it coming. And our intro at... It, it, it ends with the hopefully the justice that was ultimately delivered. And I don't know, uh, there's, there's no justice here. There's no justice there. There's, there's only sadness. There's only tragedy. I don't know. Is it, is it better when they live and get caught? I, I don't know. I don't know. And, and, uh, and one, so this is, uh, it was interesting to read how the families interacted afterwards and it was only in the police report, so I don't know how it progressed. You know, I, I really don't. Um, it was, um, you can... And what did his mom say about all this? His mother was never, um, she wasn't talked to. It was basically okay. his brothers. Um, they, his, his brothers, uh, specifically one from Fargo, um, was here. And he wanted to know if it was okay with the Christensen family. So um, Kay's family if uh, Tom could be brought to that same funeral home. Um, and the family said, no, that's not a good idea. So I, I think it was, you know, you could, reading these interviews, you could just uh, feel the sadness, even on Tom's part. Well, the sadness you know. and, and the anger, there's, yeah. the, there's, there's going to be some hard feelings. The, the Christensen family wanted, they wanted answers. And, um, and you don't have any, and you don't have any. And Tom's family has also, you know, lost a mentally ill brother, mentally unwell. I don't want to say mentally Whoa. ill, mentally unwell brother. And also, you know, well, just their sister-in-law and child. Think, think about closure and what that means to us in our everyday lives. Sure. And wh whether I know shit, man, when I was younger, in my in like my twenties, I was struggling over a lack of closure from girlfriends I had when right. I was like eighteen. Right, okay. breaking up with them and, and like, oh, and, and just, contact so, them. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's crazy when you don't have 
closure on something and that's a trivial thing that's trivial so scale that up a million times and to not have closure when you've lost somebody lost three people right yeah it's 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 unimaginable it's it's so it's so grieve it's so grievous yeah yeah so it's uh this one this one was a tough one uh this was a it was a a violent one my Um, friend my friend they're all tough ones well they are absolutely they really really are Um, every every time this one, I think this one has bothered me a lot um, because there was no ending. Well, it's a precious baby. Yeah. And it was the same thing with Gina North. You know, there was no, and I think, so I think for me, what I'm learning about myself through this process is I need that closure, you know, and that's me not being a family member. That's me, you know, diving into these very deep, you know, just as you do. And um, yeah, so. And I want to see the signs, you know, I want to, I want to be more careful. I want to be safer. Jeez Louise. And I I think it's okay to be a little nosy. If you see somebody, um, if you see a a friend of yours, I mean, we've got countless stories uh, and and I want to cover a few of those uh, of where the signs were there and nobody brought anything up. I mean, you know, look at, um, look at all of the Netflix things, uh, the, the specials about domestic violence and nobody saw it coming. Well, that's that's what that's what I I can't stand anymore is that nobody saw it coming. Someone someone along the way saw something. You know what? And, that and, guy gave you the creeps at some point. He gave you the creeps at some point. Well, and, and, I know. And, and, yeah, dude. I, I know. I know. Women women particularly seem to have a creep radar. And I feel like I do sometimes too, but I know it's different with women because your life is so much different. And in so many of these cases, the victims are women. And and, and it's it's someone I know. It's scary. Um, someone I know had a safe word for her friend because she was terrified that her definitely emotionally abusive husband was, was going to escalate, Mm. you know, it's a safe word. So, um, if I send you this word, call the cops Yep. that uh, nobody should have to live like that, Dawn. No, nobody should. I mean, so we're just, uh, you know, just diving into the domestic violence side of this whole thing. We have, we really haven't touched it. And uh, I mean, we could talk about this one for hours. Well, we don't, we, we touched it, but we don't know if there's a domestic violence side. There's no, well, there's no record of any domestic uh, no, violence side No, there is domestic violence. He beat his, he, he beat his wife and child with a, with a hammer. No, I mean, that, I mean, that pre- is domestic preceding. Violence. Yes, I agree with sure. that. I mean, preceding it again, like, like there's no record of him beating her up and, sure. and the cops coming nothing in the, and nope, nothing in the, that's, that's what yeah. I mean. I, I get that the end result of this is a domestic, domestic violence murder. Sure. But what I'm getting at is that the preceding domestic events. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I get that. They're not there. I'm sorry. I blew up. Yeah. Uh, what I, what I am curious of is, is, um, were they there? They had to have been there. Some, some sort of abuse had to have been there, but we don't, we don't know and we will never know. So, well, look, I, I do a great show um, at least once or twice a year with both the YWCA locally and the Domestic mm-hmm. Violence Crisis Center on yep. the Good Talk. And one thing that we spent a lot of time talking about this year was the hidden abuse. Yeah. And, and, yep. and perhaps that was there uh, in, in this case. And, and uh, so anyways, su- super sad deal, guys. Yeah, it's it it's Midwest Murder. You get new episodes every other Monday. Don, you got sources for this one? I do. The Minot Police Department and the Minot Daily News and that's it. And the, uh, yeah, uh, big thanks to uh, North Dakota Open Records laws oh, man. because yeah. it really helps us give you guys these great details and, and, and bring bring some light to these um, otherwise dark stories. I will say also big thanks to Eric Michael Anderson for recording the intro music to Midwest Murder along with doctors Eric and Diana Anderson for recording the music. This episode of Midwest Murder was brought to you and sponsored by Nomad Design House. You can find Nomad Design House and and reach out to check them. Out. Check her out for any of your graphic design needs. Really, um, the type of person who is, is willing to bend over backwards and do everything they can to give you a timeless logo and that she, is everything that you want and she will. She designed our bomb ass I, I love our logo. It's it's killer and, and she did it. So that's Nomad Design House. Thanks again to CJ Wynn for writing our intro. You can catch her book uh, Wilder Intentions on Amazon and I, I think I think that's everybody. I, I think, think that's everybody that we appreciate yeah. and have to give well, thanks and, to. And, and rate, except for all of you. And, yeah, except for all of you. Rate all of you listening. Us. They're it still here with us. so much. Thank you so, so very much. Please keep rating and reviewing. Keep downloading. Keep telling your friends. It's, uh, this is, this has been a, um, another episode of Midwest Murder. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>